0: For Arizona Public Media, I'm Mark McLemore, and this is Arizona Spotlight. Coming up, I'll talk with Tucson journalist Margaret Regan about one woman's journey through the Border Patrol detention system and visit a place where every word is precious to meet two women who are working to overcome the condition known as aphasia. Those stories are next on Arizona Spotlight. When we hear stories about the border, the image of remote desert landscape usually comes to mind. But the Border Patrol is also active in many cities, including Tucson. Next, we'll hear about one woman's journey from a routine traffic stop near Elcon Mall to an extended stay. In the Border Patrol Detention Facility in Eloy. Journalist Margaret Regan has been writing about immigration since she began reporting for the Tucson Weekly in 1990. She's published two books on the subject, The Death of Jocelyn, Immigration Stories from the Arizona-Mexico Borderlands in 2010, and Detained and Deported, Stories of Immigrant Families Under Fire in 2015. I asked Margaret Regan for an interview after reading an article she wrote for Edible Baja Arizona magazine. It was about the food that served to Border Patrol detainees. The article was called Detained and Deprived. Here's Margaret Regan.
1: If you get stopped today and you're an undocumented immigrant, you always have the choice of saying, okay, deport me, and you can sign a document saying, deport me, and you'll be deported within a couple of days. And many immigrants have told me that the border patrol strongly encourages them to do that and to sign those documents. But it's pretty widely known that you shouldn't sign anything without knowing what's going on and what your rights are. So if you're picked up on an immigration violation and the border patrol believes with the documentation that you have that you're here outside the law, you will go to, well, anybody will go to the border patrol um, station for several days, even those who are going to be deported quickly because you have to be processed. So uh, the woman in my story picked up for a traffic violation. She's coming out of one of the movie, uh, one of those she big malls. She was picking up
0: her son one night after he, he was up 14 years old.
1: Right. And you know how that is, you know, those malls and the traffic. She pulled out onto Broadway. She was confused and she's like, "Ah, I'm going in the wrong direction to get to my house. So she did a U-turn on Broadway. A cop came and the cop talked to her, you know, under SB 1070, a cop can ask for your documents if he or she believes that you might be here unlawfully. And she provided the only documentation she had, which was a Mexican passport. So he set the motion in place. Uh, he called um, the Border Patrol. The Border Patrol got there very quickly. She had her two kids in the car. There was the 14-year-old, and the other, I think, was 10 or 11. They took the kids away from her. They took her away from them. And she called her sister to come and get the kids, but they didn't even wait to take her away until the sister came there. So her children were left with the Tucson police officer, somebody they didn't even know. She's taken down. This is like one of the sweetest, kindest, caring... uh, young women I have met. She was a housewife, you know, very devoted to her husband and her two boys, very um, polite and very well-spoken. She gets taken down to the Border Patrol headquarters, and she's treated horribly. And, you know, I'm sure there are some Border Patrol agents that have a conscience about this and try to act um, in a fair way to people. But as I said, she was sort of a delicate sensibility, and they were calling her a whore. Had she ever
0: had trouble with the law before or oh, been incarcerated?
1: Oh, no, not at all. I mean, her her violation here was having crossed the border many years ago. Her children are U.S. citizens. This is the case of a lot of immigrants in the United States right now. They've made a life for many years here. And the Border Patrol um, station is under um, you're undergoing a lawsuit still um, filed by many different people because of the atrocious conditions, Um, and this is very typical of border patrol stations around the country. They're meant for short-term detentions, you know, that you're just supposed to be there for two or three days while you get processed. But because of that, border patrol doesn't feel like spending the money to um, have beds or showers or any kind of decent food. While they're there, they're subject to extremely cold temperatures. I have told this time and time again, Border Patrol denies it. They take away people's jackets and a lot of times, like this woman, uh, Luz Maria, caught in the summertime, she didn't have much on, maybe shorts and sandals and a little top. You get in there and the temperatures are quite low. They don't give you blankets, they don't give you beds. And the pictures that I saw filed in the lawsuit in which the judge said that these Having seen those photos before rulings were even made, the judge said these are inhumane conditions, they're human feces on the wall, you know, filthy bathrooms, very inadequate food, especially when they have children in there. Um, But so uh, Luz Maria was a typical case. She was there for a night or two, and then she was sent to the Eloy Detention Center. And that's kind of, (laughs) that's the big house, you know, the border patrol It's temporary. It's really horrible conditions, but at least it's temporary. You go to Eloy and you can be there for years. I met one man in the course of my reporting who has been, had been in detention for seven years in different detention centers.
0: So just to clarify, the place that we were talking about the first time Mm -hmm. was here in Tucson. Yes. Yeah. When you say the Border Patrol, people think, oh, well, this is miles away. But where is the facility located in Tucson?
1: Oh, it's at uh, Swan and Golf Links. You can drive down there. I mean, you can actually drive in and go into the front office if you care to. I've been down there a lot of times for um, press conferences, but I've never gotten a tour of it myself. I only have the accounts of people I've spoken to and the many photos that were um, provided for the lawsuit.
0: So Luz Maria is transferred to Eloy. What greets her there? What is the experience in her first 24 hours?
1: They get a medical exam, and they're allowed to take a shower. They haven't had a shower in some time. Um, they're given a uniform to wear. They're assigned to cell, And with the thing I was writing about for Edible Baja last summer was, of course, uh, food. And the food is horrible there. I have heard this for years and years and years from people. I remember interviewing this very devout Christian woman there one time. She'd been in for three years and she said, God help me. I'm a Christian. I don't believe we should waste food, but I cannot eat it. Um, well, as I described in the story, what was it? The three P's, papas, pawn, and pasta. You know, potatoes, bread, and pasta. That's what they get. They don't get fresh vegetables. They don't get fresh fruits. They get a lot of mystery meats like you might have experienced possibly when you were in high school. <laughs> One of the things um, several women told me was that there's often worms in the oatmeal. The coffee is undrinkable. The eggs are usually powdered eggs. I never had a chance to eat there, and I tried to get in when I was doing that story to have a meal. They would not let me anywhere near the place. If you're eating just that high carb diet with no real nutrients, you know, no vitamins, no fresh foods, you just sort of start feeling lousy. You know, people start having gastrointestinal struggles. Another woman in that, that I interviewed for that story, who was in the detention center for quite a long time, she was very sick when she got out. She could not adjust to regular food. She said every time she tried to eat a meal, she would have a bad case of diarrhoea. And it took her her whole system a while to adjust to being back there.
0: So let's go back to the woman that we're calling Luz Maria, who is the center of your article. How long did she ultimately spend at that facility?
1: I think it was just a couple of months. And she doesn't really know what happened because she and her husband had hired an attorney. You know, immigrants are extremely vulnerable. And there are a lot of uh, notaries, public, who advertise that they're They can help you with your immigration papers, and people who don't know the legal system can be taken in by that and waste their money.
0: I think anyone in Tucson has seen those advertisements, if not in print, on bus
1: stops. Yeah, but so she had, I think, a bad situation with a lawyer, but then she suddenly was released, and she really didn't know why, but she was put on this program where you have to do check-ins with ICE, you've probably read there've been a lot of a uh, lot of attention to these cases in the news since uh, Trump came into the presidency because people under Obama they had this policy and it was not always followed certainly Obama deported a lot of worthy individuals and parents and separated them from children but under Trump we've abandoned the policy that a nice mom you know like that who just has been at home with her kids um should not be deported and as long as she checks into ICE. So there are a lot of people in that situation. And so she was one of those people. She was allowed out of Eloy to go back to her family, but she had to do these check ins and she was fearful once Trump came into power. And so um she basically has vanished. You know, she has not she's not doing the check ins. I don't know where she is. She just decided and I guess in
0: and her family is also missing right now? Or I suppose they're the all grid.
1: they're all together somewhere, but they're not telling people where mm-hmm. they are. So um, fewer arrests on the border, but a big jump in arrests in the interior. We have ISIL over the United States being very aggressive, and the arrests in the interior are up 42% since Trump came into power. And we've been seeing a lot of these cases in the news. They're the kind of people that I wrote about in my book Men and women who've been here maybe since they were kids, since they were teenagers, have lived here for a long time, have children, some of them have grandchildren, most of them by and large not having gotten in any kind of trouble other than their immigration violation, and we're seeing a huge uptick in arrests of those people.
0: My guest was Margaret Regan. We discussed a story she wrote about at length in her book, Detained and Deported, Stories of Immigrant Families Under Fire, published in 2015 by Beacon Press. Imagine awakening and finding out that your body no longer functioned as it had before. Your arms and legs might be numb or useless. Most of us would try to call for help to escape the nightmare. But then it gets worse you find out that communication is impossible. Even if you can make a sound, you can't speak a comprehensible word. And that turns out to be only the beginning. Aphasia is a language disorder that can be the result of a stroke, brain infection, or head injury. At the Aphasia Center of Tucson, about two dozen people of all ages and at different levels of ability are learning to talk, read, write, and use numbers all over again. The Aphasia Center's director is Dr. Fabi Hirsch. She says there's no cure for aphasia, just months and years of hard work to regain things that so many of us take for granted.
2: One of the ways that I gauge our success is how well people then move into friendships and relationships that go beyond the walls of the center. So we really strive to get people re-engaged in meaningful life activities. When I hear about people going for hikes, people have taken trips together. People go for movies and coffee. And that really, I think, shows the value of what we do here. It's all about quality of life, better communication, better quality of life.
3: Good job, good job. And the,
0: I visited a class the, where the participants took turns reading out loud to each other. For some, the struggle to say every word was plain on their face, but so were the smiles and the laughter that came from cheering each other on. After class, Dr. Hirsch introduced me to a woman in her late 20s named Felisa. She's been living with aphasia since a stroke about three years ago. At that time, Felisa was a published poet and an interpreter studying in Afghanistan. I asked her if losing her ability with languages had also changed her personality.
3: Um, Of course, um, struggle, speech, but I am confident that heal and grow
0: when you were first recovering from your stroke, how did this feel to not be able to communicate like you had before?
3: Um, shattered, shattered. I, I I, am a poet and translator. Translator? Mm-hmm. And writing. I love to write. No longer again uh, start over hmm. so hard but I am hope hope and I am lo- long time but um, future future
0: is it Any different for you to communicate verbally than with writing? Do you feel the same impediments to expressing yourself?
3: Um, Well, sometimes I can't talk, but writing most. So Mm -hmm. sometimes Mm -hmm. works. (laughs) Yeah. Um, But writing, not much.
0: Yeah. How is your reading when you're alone and you're just reading to yourself? Do words flow any better?
3: Oh, horrible. (laughs) So, um, Beth helps um, writing, or I translation interpret me. (laughs) So, English.
0: Yeah, so So. you're translating for yourself. (laughs) Yeah. Right. Right. When you're in public, say you're going shopping or something and you have to express yourself, um, have you found that people are willing to take the time to be patient?
3: Half, Um, kind and post office. Well, half, see? Half, right. Yeah.
0: Tell people what this is. Oh, (laughs) a band, yeah. A wristband. Yeah.
3: wristband
0: yeah yeah you showed that to people and you hope that that can get hope <laughs> yeah that they'll take the time to understand yeah, yeah. okay
3: aphasia loss of language not intellect mm-hmm. all the time mm-hmm. one minute please <laughs> so
0: <laughs> what is your dissertation on
3: um afghan poetry afghan specifically uh women's poetry Contemporary, Felisa, you have a beautiful
2: poem. Just a little quote yeah. uh, that applies so nicely, I think, to recovery. Right?
3: Do you want to share? Um, katra, katra darya means a uh, river is made drop by drop. Afghan proper.
2: An Afghan proverb. Yeah,
3: yeah
2: it's okay. beautiful. I think it applies so beautifully mm-hmm. to the recovery process here. Is that it's not one day we wake up and everything is cured, but every day. Steady, steady. Yep, steady, work. steady, drop by mm-hmm. drop.
0: Felisa handed me a book of her poetry, and I read a small excerpt. This is from a poem called Be Longing. My first friend in the Arizona desert was an Iraqi refugee. After a father's death, after hightailing it under veil of dark, after years in a Syrian camp, she was here, a desert with a different tongue. In her language, Haif is house, and Haif okay. is also a line of poetry. We were also joined by Rona, a woman about Felisa's age with sparkling green eyes. Rona's aphasia severely limits her ability to speak, but she communicates best by typing on her phone. Okay, so it says your name is Rona and that you had a stroke two years ago. What do you remember when you were recovering from the stroke, did you think that this would be temporary maybe? Mm -hmm.
2: Uh, mm -hmm.
0: But your prognosis turned out to be what? Has anyone ever been able to tell you what you might expect?
2: No mm-hmm.
0: Dr. Hirsch, what would you say about Rona in terms of other young women that you see come into this group?
2: Everyone is so different. Mm-hmm. So one person, our focus might be on using technology, whereas with another person, it might be on using writing to help them communicate. It might be working with a family member or a friend to help with communication or some combination of all of those. so it's really personalized mm-hmm. in how we address each each person who comes mm-hmm. through our doors. I'm always particularly impressed, I think, when we have someone who comes in and is young and has had a stroke, but does not let that get them down mm-hmm. and comes in and is determined and just ready to dive into past activities in rona's case diving into new activities Mm -hmm. she's recently started riding a trike Mm -hmm. with a riding group and has shared that in some presentations with us Mm -hmm. so that inspires me i love to see folks come in and um, show me that there are so many things that can be done in the community, and there's absolutely no reason to be hiding away.
0: I know that from talking to Felisa that her goal is to finish her dissertation right now, but what about your goal for language, your goal for winning out over aphasia?
2: So that's a good indicator of the fact that nobody knows about aphasia when the phone can't even uh-huh. auto-correct the word aphasia. Uh-huh.
1: Yeah, <laughs> really. No word prediction for aphasia.
0: Beautifully uh, done. So your goal is talking so good that you can teach people about aphasia. Mm-hmm. That is a great goal.
2: <laughs>
0: um, I know that from talking to Felisa that her goal is to finish her dissertation right now. But if you could talk to people easily about aphasia, what's the first thing you would want them to know?
1: I don't know.
0: So when I asked Marona what she would like to tell people primarily about aphasia, mm-hmm. she just typed, "Aphasia is hard." Mm-hmm. Did you like to use your phone to text before mm-hmm. your stroke, uh-huh. so you already had an advantage mm-hmm. there, right? Is there anything you've learned here at the center that is you think is helping you to um, express yourself better?
2: Um, um, the slides mean with the public speaking? Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. Yes. So Rona's in our public speaking group. And you would think that in a public speaking group having a lot of difficulty with speech mm-hmm. would be a real detriment. And it's not. Yeah. <laughs> because with the public speaking group, the beauty of it is that you can put images up on the board and without saying a word, mm-hmm. the entire audience is ooing and awing mm-hmm. at these mm-hmm. fabulous photos of Places and things that you do. And so, without having to verbally say a lot of the words, you can communicate what's going on in your life. Mm -hmm. You can imagine getting together with your friends if you weren't able to tell them what you did on the weekend, but you can show them a picture of the restaurant you went to or the meal you made. Mm -hmm. All of a sudden, you have a whole new avenue for communicating what's going on in your life. And these two are masters of that.
0: Illustrating Dr. Hirsch's point, we stepped out into the hallway, which has been turned into a gallery for members of the Aphasia Center. Felisa showed me some photographs from her trips to Afghanistan.
3: Herat, an ancient.
0: Where did your interest in Afghanistan come from?
3: Um, I love... Uh, Afghanistan. Why? Um, Hospitality, people, um, poetry, laughter.
0: But is it from your family? No. No? Just you finding it for yourself? Yeah. Can you tell us what we're looking at?
3: School and girls recite uh, poetry. (laughs) <laughs> and um, her
0: poetry so she wrote some poetry yes. that her, her classmates were reading
3: mm-hmm.
0: do um, young girls have a good chance at an education in Afghanistan or is it harder for them than boys?
3: yeah um, brightest
0: girls
3: mm-hmm. um Rarely,
0: but, yeah. These are beautiful photos. Thank you. Before leaving, I spent time learning more of the facts from Dr. Fabi Hirsch.
2: Over 2 million people in the U.S. are living with aphasia, which is a shockingly large number. That means over 6,000 people in Pima County are living with aphasia. We are only addressing the needs of a very small proportion of that. And I feel badly. I feel like there must be people at home who are isolated, who aren't aware that we're here and we're here to help.
0: Do you have goals set for the Institute for where you'd like to take this community?
2: Recently, we were granted nonprofit status, 501c3 status for a new organization called Friends of Aphasia. And the Aphasia Center of Tucson will be part of Friends of Aphasia. We have a growing number of young individuals who have had strokes, and you can imagine losing your source of income, no longer being able to work, and how that makes it really difficult to pay for different resources, including our center here. We try to keep tuition very low, But we need to be able to offer this to anybody who could take advantage of it. So we're hoping that the nonprofit model will be a better way for us to continue to grow. We really want to pursue more advocacy and outreach efforts, and that will be part of Friends of Aphasia. And we want to spearhead some novel treatment research I think as a clinician with over 25 years of experience that the groups are one of the best things that I can provide as people continue to recover their communication skills. But as you can imagine when I'm sitting across from someone in their 30s and 40s and that they still struggle with getting the words across that I feel like there must be more that I can do.
0: Thanks to everyone at the Aphasia Center of Tucson for sharing their stories, especially Felisa and Rona. The center is located near Craycroft and Speedway, and we have links to get in touch on the ACPM website and Facebook page. Thank you for listening to Arizona Spotlight. You can find our podcasts on iTunes and through the phone app NPR One. This show originates from the ACPM Radio Studios, AZPM's news director is Andrea Kelly. The music is by Calexico. The production engineer is Jim Blackwood. I'm producer and host, Mark McLemore.
2: Arizona Public Media's original programming is made possible in part by the Community Service Grant from the Corporation for Public Broadcasting.